parable of the talents is an old favourite and if you're as old as I am you've probably heard, heard it preached on many, many, many times. Um, and there's a reason for that. Um, it's a favourite for ministers. They love it. Um, one of the most difficult tasks for any minister of any church is to encourage the flock to see themselves as fellow disciples. Because um, most of us think, oh, who am I? What, 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 what could I do? What, you know, wh- why would God need me? And um, one of the most difficult things for a minister is, is to help members of a church to discover that they have to just stop having church done to them or done for them and to encourage every one of us here to, to um, see ourselves as Jesus' disciples, to be the church, um, to be the church as Christ designed his church to be, to begin to be a, a bunch, of, bunch of Christians, a bunch of Jesus' disciples, uh, taking the gospel, taking the good news of Jesus Christ out into the world, going out on mission together, every one of us, not just one or two of us, every one of us. Um, and we love this parable because that's what it's urging us to do. It's urging every one of us, you and I, together to go out on mission. But before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we study your word today, help us to see with fresh eyes, help us to hear with attentive ears, and Lord, may your Holy Spirit Tune our hearts with yours, that we would not only hear, but understand, that we would not only understand, but that we would act. Lord, we open ourselves today to all of the possibilities of all that you might want to do in us. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. I'm just going to have to grab these. I've reached that age. Thanks. That's better. Okay, righto. So, so the parable of the talents. There's this man and he's heading off on a journey and so he calls his servants. Now, only this word isn't really servants, it's actually slaves. All right? So the word in the Greek actually says slaves. He calls his slaves and he entrusts his property property to them and, and I suppose because he knows his slaves so well he, he knows the capabilities of each of them and so the amount that he entrusts to each of them is in accordance with their ability. To one slave he gives five talents, to another slave he gives two talents and to the third slave he gives one talent. Now to try and help us to understand this story better I want to take away the word talent. Because I don't think it's that helpful to us. Um, You see, when we think of talents, we generally think of in terms of of a a physical ability or maybe even spiritual gifts that we might have. So some of you can sing, some of you can dance, uh, some of you can cook, some of you can weld, some of you can shear, uh, some of you can shoot, some of you can ride a horse. Uh, some of you can whistle really loud with two fingers in your mouth. That's something I've never been able to do, by the way. No matter how much I try, I just can't seem to be able to manage it as much as I'd like to be able to. So all of these things are talents. 
some of us, we might think then in terms of spiritual gifts. And they might say, well, Michael, you've got a gift of preaching and, and, and Joy's got a gift of leading worship and somebody else might have a gift of giving and somebody else might have a gift of, of sharing the love of Jesus with those who desperately need it. Well, these are spiritual gifts and we might think of these as, as talents as well. One day a man told his pastor that he wasn't able to do anything for God because he only had one talent. And the pastor said, oh, I'm sure God can use that talent. What is that talent? He said, well, the only thing I'm any good at is criticising people. And the pastor said, hmm, I think you'd better do what the third, what the third servant did, bury it. Um, but most of us think that a talent is something that we're good at that we can do for God. But you've got to remember, this is a parable that Jesus is telling, all right? And last week we talked about what a parable is. A parable is a story, an earthly story, but it has a heavenly meaning. And, and Jesus tells an earthly story and we can instantly grasp the truth of that story and then apply it to our spiritual lives. And in that story, a talent is not something that you can do. A talent is a unit of currency. Right? If Jesus was telling that story in Australia, he would have been talking in dollars. It's a, a talent is a unit of currency and it's a big unit of currency. I, I worked out what it comes to. A talent of silver is equivalent to 6,000 denarii. Now, a denarii is what you could earn in one day of manual labour in Jesus' day. All right? So one talent of silver is the equivalent of 6,000 days' wages. So I then transfer that into dollars terms. The minimum, current minimum Australian wage is $16.87 an hour. Now, if you put in a 12-hour day, that's close enough to $200 a day, although it would be more than that because if you're working 12 hours, you'd have to get in overtime rates as well. But just for ease of working out, let's go to $200 a day. Times 6,000 equals $1.2 million. All right? So when Jesus was telling this story, people would have been hearing it and going, well, that's an enormous amount of money. And so one talent of silver equates to $1.2 million. And so the one with five talents was entrusted with the equivalent of $6 million. That's a lot of dough. The one with two talents was, was, was entrusted with the equivalent of $2.4 million. And that poor lowly slave, when we read it and we go, oh, that poor fellow, he only had one talent. I wonder what that slave did wrong, that, that, that his master only entrusted him with, with one talent of silver. What was he entrusted with? The master goes away and he says to this lowly slave, he's not so lowly after all, is he? Here's $1.2 million for you to look after while I'm gone. Now, does that start to bring the story into a little bit different light for you? It's incredible. We think, oh, that poor fellow, he only had one talent. He wasn't a poor fellow at all. The master trusted him with so much he'd given him $1.2 million, an enormous amount to manage while he was gone. Now, that's nothing to sneeze at. That, that is an enormous responsibility to manage $1.2 million of someone else's money. And the master was a long time away. 
The first slave and the second slave did something with what they were given. The Greek word says ergosato. Now that's um, coming from the Greek word ergon, which means work. The slaves carried on the master's business. They worked with the money or they put the money to work and they managed to double it. And so when the master came back, uh, they fronted up with the master's investment and the first one had turned $6 million into $12 million. second one had turned $2.4 million into $4.8 million. And verse 21, the master says to them, Well done, good and faithful slave. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, does that give you some... God is obviously our master, or Jesus is our master, right, in this story? Does that give you some kind of insight into God's enormous value? He says, you've been faithful over a little. I've given you like $6 million to look after you, lowly slave, and that's a little to him, hey? Now, a key word in this story is faith or faithful. Two of the slaves were faithful. The Greek word piste means trustworthy, faithful, or in an active sense it can mean trusting and believing. So, I guess this is an important concept for us. We are faithful to God because God is faithful to us and we can have faith in God. Right? We are faithful because we, we, because we can trust in God. And the slaves were trustworthy because they trusted their master. They knew their master and they knew that he had entrusted something of great value to them and they knew that they could have confidence to put it to work. But the third slave was very different. The third slave is described as wicked and oknere. That's another Greek word, but oknere means one who hesitates because of wariness uh, or sloth or fear or bashfulness or reserve. He didn't do anything with his master's fortune. He just buried it in a hole in the ground and he did it because he was afraid of his master. He did it because he was lazy and, well, basically he had no desire to carry on the master's business. Let's bring it back to discipleship. Jesus has been a long time coming and when he returns, Jesus is expecting to see a return on his investment. What investment has he made? And once again, Jesus here is talking privately to his disciples. I'm going to ask the same question I asked last week. I'm hoping we might get a bit better response today. Are there any disciples of Jesus here today? Oh good, there's eight of you today. Excellent. Uh, uh, Last week there was only two, so we're really increasing. Um, uh, By the way, in Deer and Bandy, every single person went... I'm a disciple of Jesus. I said, oh, good on you. Good on you. It's, it's time we need to start owning our faith. What was the joke there? 
<laughs> both of them. Yeah, no. There was, there, was, there was a lot more hands went up in Dirrambandi than in St George, I can tell you. And I told them too, I said, listen, it's so good to be amongst disciples here, that lot in St George. Goodness me. There was, <laughs> and they said, there's probably only two of them. I said, you've got it. <laughs> yep. It's time to start owning being a disciple of Jesus. Okay? Now, as disciples of Jesus Christ, what investment has Jesus made into you? Anything? You tell me, what investment has Jesus made into you? He died for you. Yep. What else? Sorry? He forgave you. Yeah. What else? Gift of salvation. He loves you. What else? Sorry, I'm deaf. Eternal life. Yeah. Where would we begin? The cross, salvation, forgiveness, love, Holy Spirit, eternal life, life itself. The cost of his investment was enormous. It cost him his life. But I want to home in on what I believe is the key word in this passage. And it's something else that he's invested into us. Faith or faithfulness. God has given to some disciples an enormous amount of faith. Have you noticed that with, with people? Like some Christians just seem to have an enormous amount of faith and they just trust God in the most crazy of circumstances and think, well, I don't think I could do that. Have you noticed that? Some people have enormous faith. Other Christians have a bit less faith. Is that true? I think it's true. Yeah. And God expects us to use the, the faith that he has given us to build faith. So the story I had with the kids. Did, did anyone, by the way, grow up with the old kids Sunday school song that said, faith is like a muscle, use it and it will grow? Does anyone know that song? I searched for it and searched for it and I couldn't find it. Um, I've, yeah, I've, I found the words for it on the internet but I couldn't find the music or chords or, or anything. But, but that is just so, so true. Faith is like a muscle. Use it and it will grow. A few years ago, a friend of mine saw me in a crowd, saw me from behind in a crowd of people and he came up to me afterwards and he said, it looked like you were dancing with somebody. Said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, your legs, they're just so different. You see, like I ride, I ride push bikes and, and so that builds up your calf muscles pretty well but a few years ago now I, I broke an ankle, my ankle and it's now fused. So all the muscles that work, that are supposed to work the ankle on my right leg do nothing and they've just shrunk away to nothing. They've just disappeared whereas the other ones all, all built up and he said, it's like you've got, got, a, got, got a skinny little leg against a big muscly leg and it looks like you're dancing with someone. And, you know, muscles that get used grow. Muscles that do not get used shrink away. 
What's the word for that? Is that atrophy? Yeah? Atrophy. And God has given all of us faith. God has given each of his disciples enough faith. Some, some Christians will have more faith, some will have less faith. But he's given each of us how much? Enough. Enough. Our trouble is that some of us don't use it. When you do use your faith, it grows. And then you've got more faith to use next time. Here's here's some good news for you. God does not expect you to use faith you don't have. Right? Do you need to think about that for a minute or you got it? God does not expect you to use faith that you don't have. But he does expect us to use the faith that he has given us. Because faith begets faith. Use faith and faith grows. It gets stronger. And also when you share your faith, when you do the work of sharing your faith with others, faith is planted into others to grow in them. There is an enormous difference between the first two slaves and the last one. If if we were on Sesame Street about now, we'd start singing, one of these slaves is not like the others. One of these slaves just does not belong. You know that song? I don't think they've ever used the word slaves. Um, but, But this is where the power of the story would really kick in when Jesus was telling this story. People would have heard this story and hear of these enormous amounts of money that only royalty would have had access to getting dispensed among these people. And they would have heard about this fellow who'd been given $1.2 million to look after and he didn't even bother to put it in the bank. And they would have gone, lazy, good for nothing. Why why would he have to be tentative about that? This is where the power of story would have kicked in for Jesus' hearers. And then you then translate that into the spiritual truth. So, how was he different? Well, the first two obviously knew their master, but the third one had a very false picture of his master. The first two were empowered by their master, the third one was scared of him. The first two were conscientious, the third one was lazy. The first two were empowered to carry on their master's business and they did so And the third one, although he had the very same opportunity to carry on the master's business, he didn't. And I want you to notice something that's very important here. The master gave to each of his slaves according to their ability. How much dough did the master give to the wicked lazy servant? A little or a lot? We think it's relatively little, but it was actually a lot. God had given him an enormous amount. Now, the master gave to the servants according to their ability. He had given him a lot. He would given him $1.2 million to look after. That servant had plenty of ability. The master had given him something of enormous value and he'd given in accordance to his ability. 
He was just too tentative to use it. And that's the way many of us disciples are. God has given us plenty of ability. We're just afraid to use it. The word ability, by the way, comes from the Greek word dunamos, which means power, and it's the word that, that we, from which we get our word dynamite. Okay? Now that's the word, the word ability here. God has given to each of his disciples according to his dynamite power. If only, if only we realised how much power was at our disposal. You see, we very often feel powerless. And you might be someone who feels powerless. But with the Holy Spirit, you're packing dynamite. You have power. You have ability. You might feel powerless. With the Holy Spirit, you have power. And God has given you faith according to your ability that you have. But you just don't recognise it. And I'm describing myself here too. So often I don't recognise the power that God has available for us through his Holy Spirit. When you love God, you'll love his business and you'll use the faith that he has given you to carry on that business. Something else that we should notice is that the reward of the first two slaves was exactly the same. Verse 21 tells us the reward of the first slave. Verse 23 tells us the reward of the second slave. And those two verses are exactly the same words. Well done, good and faithful slave. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, we we look at the first slave that had been entrusted with with so much more than the second slave and was able to, to produce so much more than the second slave. And yet they both got this exactly the same reward. We don't need to be afraid whether we succeed or not. Because our reward from God is not based on productivity. Our reward from God is not based on how much we do for God or how much we manage to achieve for God. Your reward is based on faithfulness. Not how much you can get done. I continually think of, of the, um, one of the prophets who was called, I think it was Isaiah. And when God called him, he said to him, you're going to go and you're going to preach to these people and they're not going to hear you. You're going to tell them all these things and show them all these things and they're not going to see. You're going to preach all of this message of repentance and they're going to totally ignore you. Imagine having a calling like that. Yeah, Isaiah, I've got a job for you and you're going to be absolutely, you're going to fail. Nobody's going to listen to you. You know what? God wanted Isaiah to be faithful. It wasn't 
what he managed to achieve. It was the faithfulness that he had to have. And our reward is based on faithfulness. The faithful enter into the joy of their heavenly father. The wicked slothful servant gave the fortune back. He gave the faith that he had back. I don't know if you noticed that. He gave it up. He didn't want it anymore. He said, here, this is yours. I was afraid of you. I buried it. I've done nothing with it. Take it back. And he did that. The master took it and he gave it to the other. And so he's cast out into the darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The more you use faith, the more you carry on the master's business, the more you'll value the faith that you have and the more you'll realise just how precious it is. But if you don't value faith, if you're so tentative that you bury your faith, you, 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 know, you might have made a commitment to God at some time in your life, but you just bury it. Hide it in a hole in the ground. Nobody outside the church would even know that you're a Christian because you, you never tell anybody. It's made no difference. You're so tentative, you bury your faith, you never share it. You get no joy out of knowing God. You're just afraid of God. It's not going to be long until you give up faith altogether. Our Master wants us to love him. And if you love God, you'll know God and you're not going to be just scared of him. You'll want to carry on our father's business. You know what God's family business is? Kingdom building. Kingdom building. Not our kingdom, but God's kingdom. That's the family business. And not one Not one of God's disciples are insignificant in that. He has given each of us a part to play. One day, Sir Michael Costa, a famous orchestra conductor, was holding a rehearsal and as the mighty chorus rang out, there were scores of instruments all playing the piccolo player. Does anyone know the piccolo? Tiny little flute about that long. The piccolo player thought to himself, I just need a little break. Nobody's going to notice me and he just stopped playing. And suddenly the great conductor stopped and cried out, Where's the piccolo? The sound of that one tiny instrument was necessary for the harmony and it wasn't there. And you might feel insignificant, but every one of us have a part to play in God's orchestra. There's all sorts of reasons why people bury their faith instead of working with it. Some of us don't know God well enough and and so we're just scared of him. Some of us are afraid of causing offence in others. Maybe some of us just have no idea how valuable the gospel is. And so we've just stopped sharing it. Maybe some of us don't care if unbelievers perish. 
maybe some of us have been told so often that we're useless that we've begun to believe it. Maybe some of us have been hurt and we've been left feeling broken and too tentative to share our faith. Or maybe some of us are just plain lazy. If you've buried your faith for whatever reason, what do you think we should start doing? I think it's time to get the shovel out and dig it up. It's time to dig up our faith, dust it off and put it to work. To get into God's family business of kingdom building. Be faithful with the enormous investment that God has put into your life. And be ready to hear the words, Well done, good and faithful slave. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Um, Next week, we're going to take a little break from Matthew. Um, I'm going to share with you five practices that we can use to help us to invest in the kingdom of God. Um, These are things which, five ways that can help us to take the faith that God's given us and to start investing that faith to build faith in others. So that'll be next week.